and welcome to the Mason Hayes and Curran Law Podcast. My name is Paul Rochford. I'm a partner on our education law team. And I am joined this morning by some of my colleagues from that team, Catherine Kelly, one of our senior associates, who we will often confusingly refer to as Trina as well, and Fiona Scheel. And today we're all going to be talking about education law and data protection law. Uh, Catherine and Fiona, more specifically, we're going to talk about uh, and follow up on some of the points that were touched on in our recent webinars on this topic. And one of the things that we we touched on, but perhaps didn't discuss uh, in full detail, was the whole uh, issue of data protection policies and what should go into them. And I think, two of the most important things that need to go into a data protection policy are a clear definition of what the school or the board of management as data controller is collecting and why they're collecting it. Um, we on the team have dealt with questions on this as disparate as drawings by students or daily notes about student behavior, uh, interview notes from recruitment or promotion competitions, and accident and injury report forms from uh, accidents involving uh, students and our staff. And I just wondered what thoughts you had about those and other types of data that a school might collect in its normal day-to-day business and how that fits into a data protection policy and the consideration of what and why that type of data is being collected. Yeah, we do come across this a lot. I'm just after finishing a review of 800 pages that we received from a school Uh, which included an awful lot of data that they really didn't need to retain, which included a lot of um, pictures and test results for the child. So there really was no necessity to retain that on their files. However, there was other stuff that we we had to go through. So it is an interesting point and schools need to maybe assess why they're retaining that data and for what reason. For example, in relation to interview notes, the maximum time you would retain those notes, I would advise, would be 18 months. That's provided for in the circular. The only reason you would be retaining those would be maybe in relation to a claim um, brought by one of the unsuccessful candidates for that post. So say, for example, they might say that they had been discriminated against on the grounds of age or gender Um, And in defending that claim, it would be great to have the interview notes and any of the marking sheets from that process so that you could show that um, the best candidate was appointed and it had nothing to do with either age or gender. And but isn't that a very good example of how the data protection policy and data protection in general feeds into the real life running of a school in that the people who are conducting an interview panel like that, they need to know what to do with that data. They first of all need to know that it is personal data and that it needs to be retained or not, as the case may be. But they also need to know what to do with it. And then they need to know where to put it. And isn't that the reason uh, why we need to have a clear data protection policy? And I, I think, Fiona, you probably deal with a lot of this on, on in your practice because you uh, deal with a lot of data access requests uh, so uh, is that do you see that in terms of what schools keep in that they may keep a lot of data because they just always kept it and it's not thought about or they may not keep other types of data or there may be data missing that maybe should be there 
because they have equally haven't thought about it or haven't referred back to their data protection policy to see what they should be doing with it. Yeah, like it's really important to look at what you're holding and why you're holding it. Like we, there are certain things that are really important to keep. Like we had um, a situation recently where a request for CCTV footage was put in because there was an accident in the schoolyard. Um, and in in the particular circumstance in this case, it was really important to keep a copy of that footage because there, there was no fault on the school's part and the insurance company actually directly advised the school to hold on to a copy of that and any incident reports in relation to it. However, there's the other extreme then where, you know, a school is recording what, what the child ate for lunch and if they had a good day or if they, you know, were upset about anything. I mean, you just need to be careful about what you're holding on to and what you're not um, and, and really ask yourself that question and have that set out clearly in the policy, what you're retaining and, and why you're retaining it. We've had the situation where we've received yard books in from schools, which would refer to the child's name the whole way through the yard books. And it would be pages and pages. And that technically is personal data. But there's absolutely no reason to retain those yard books. So I would say um, you should just provide for that in your policy. Absolutely. And just um, on the on the point around CCTV footage, a lot of a lot of footage I know deletes itself after 30 days, which is great. But I mean, you shouldn't be hanging on to it past that point unless there is a specific reason to. Because if you have a parent who requests CCTV footage or, or a member of staff, they do have an entitlement to it because it is their it's their personal data. So under under GDPR, they have that entitlement to it. So, you know, I wouldn't be holding it on to it, holding on to it for any longer than, than, than you need to, unless, as I said, there is a legitimate reason to, because, you know, you get into the area of, of pixelation, if other members' data is in the footage and, you know, you run into serious money when you have to pixelate stuff. So, and that cost can ultimately fall on the board of management. Um, so, you know, it's just, it's important to kind of be aware of that, I guess. And I suppose I would make a point in relation to the CCTV as well. We've had that case where um, a student brought a bullying complaint, a high court case against a school. Um, and one of the allegations he made was that he was kicked in the locker room by other students in the school. And the school had uh, luckily kept the CCTV footage and it showed actually that it was the other way around, that he was engaging in horseplay in the locker room on a regular basis. So it was good to have it from that point of view. And in that case, we did have to arrange for the pixelation of the other students involved to protect their right to privacy. I think, as as you said, Fiona, that, that can get very expensive. And I know uh, I was involved recently in a case where we had to have CCTV footage pixelated and there were only two other people in the piece of footage bar the, the 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 data subject and we only needed approximately i think two minutes of footage and that still cost several hundred euro to review and, and pixelate uh, so i think the thing with cctv and it's a very good example of it is that it's very easy when you don't consciously think about it on an ongoing basis for schools to over uh, record or over attain data including things like cctv including things like yard books so i think the message is that it's not a, a fire and forget type of thing in terms of, right, we have a data protection policy, that's grand, it's in the drawer. It is really a living document. You really do have to go back to it 
and have staff refreshed on it to update what am I doing in my day-to-day teaching practice? What data am I generating? How does that fit in with the data we're supposed to be collecting as that's set out under the policy? And what am I doing with it? And, 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 and ongoing training and kind of refreshing of that with staff is vital. Yeah, and just on your point there, you know, and we, we've had situations before, like like you said there, where there might be, might be only a minute or two of footage and there may only be two other people in it. Like it's it's worth, you know, before you go down the pixelation road, which is expensive, it's worth asking the other members who appear in that footage, do they, to provide their consent, if, if another member requesting the footage wants to, wants to have a look at it. So we've had that where, we, we would have obtained consent and the parent or the member of staff requesting that particular CCTV footage if it has came into the school, reviewed it in the school, it hasn't left the school and we have received the consent of, of the other members who appear in that footage. So that's a kind of cost efficient way, I guess, of going about it as well before you need to engage redaction.ie for pixelation or whoever else. But we do actually get the letters in regularly asking for copies of the CCTV footage. And we would always advise that you wouldn't give that. And that wouldn't be provided for in your policy anyway. And um, so just be very, very careful about the reasons why somebody would be requesting a copy of the CCTV footage. If it comes from the Gardaí, obviously get that um, in writing. And that would be a valid request if they're looking for for a particular reason. But otherwise, be very careful about providing a copy. And one of the other topics that that, that touches on in terms of as Fiona mentioned, the 28-day cycles of CCTV overwriting itself and, and and whether or not you need to make a decision to keep that beyond that. Uh, the whole issue of um, accidents and accident report forms and various things like that, that becomes an issue then as well because if you have somebody who is a child at the time of the accident, they have the ability within a period of time after they they reach the age of majority after their 18th birthday in which to take a claim in relation to that, to to, to any injuries arising from that accident. Uh, So, I know Trina, do you have any thoughts about whether that's something that a school should just do as a matter of course? Do they start retaining details of every trip and fall that happens in the schoolyard? Or is there more consideration to be given to the retention of that data? than just a simple, yes, let's keep everything? Well, the insurance policy that the school would have would usually provide for some kind of accident report form to be made, uh, to be completed if there is an accident, a serious accident in in the school, even trip and falls. Sometimes those would be reported to the insurance company just to put the insurance company on notice of that. And the school should obviously retain a copy of that report form. But in relation to minor accidents, which occur all of the time, in the schoolyard, I would say that you shouldn't retain that for longer than is necessary. Um, So if you followed up with the parents and they're informed of it and there's no further issue, I would say there's no real reason for retaining that information after that. But but I think, isn't it the case that, and I know we've been asked it, uh, that uh, schools like most data controllers, like uh, businesses out on your main street, they they want a, a straightforward table that tells them right you keep this type of record for this long and you keep that type of record for that long and that's it and don't that that's the end of it i don't think it is that simple it it may be that simple generally in that you know for most records uh, you can use those as a guideline 
But I think that is part of your data protection policy to go back to what we first started talking about in that your data protection policy set should set out the types of data that you've identified that you're recording, why you're recording it, and then a retention schedule for how long you're keeping it. But that, again, is not something that gets stuck in the drawer. There may be occasions when you have to look at something, some particular type of data and, and make a consideration of, do we need to make an exceptional decision here to retain this for a longer period? And I think... In relation to minor bumps and scrapes in the yard, that's a different issue. If you have a serious incident in the yard and maybe a child suffers a significant injury, then you would have to retain that data for longer. Because if that does end up in a claim against the school, a personal injury claim taken by the parents of that child, one way of defending that is to show that there was adequate supervision in the yard at the time. So you would need to be very careful about retaining all of that information. And I think it's probably a good idea as well to record at the time that you make the decision to retain something or a particular item of data to record why you're doing that. Because I think then if, if an issue arises with the Data Protection Commission and they ask later or there's a query or a complaint by the data subject as to why that particular piece of data was retained, it's probably a good idea to record why you did that at the time so that you can stand over that decision. One of the queries that we also get a lot relates to requests for data concerning students who are in secondary school and are in or around that digital age of consent that we touched on in the webinar, which is currently set at 16 here in Ireland. The GDPR allows it to be set as low as 13. It's soon to come under review, and we know that the consultation paper is out there in relation to the data rights of children and that the, 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 the DPC is, is taking submissions on that at the moment. I think, Trina, you might have dealt with a case like that recently uh, involving requests where what makes it more difficult is where the parents perhaps are separated and one parent is requesting the data about the child. The other parent uh, may or may not have a view on whether that first parent should get that data. And then the child's view has to be taken into account as well at particular ages. So you might talk about that for a second. Well, sometimes what happens is is that uh, the parents don't agree in relation to the education of the child, or there may be issues there. And um, the child may not want the information to be shared with one of the parents involved. And you do have to take that the student's uh, wishes on board. I would say that you would have to ask the student for their consent to their personal data being released to that parent. Um, We've advised in relation to junior search results, so say students as young as 15, and that has been held as reasonable. Uh, We've had students that have said, I don't want my junior search results going to my father or mother. And the school has responded to say, we've asked the student and they have said that they don't consent to the release of their personal data. And that has been held as valid. But I would say that maybe even students as young as 13, 14, if there is an issue that you should be going to those students and you should ask them whether or not they consent to their personal data being um, released to one or other parent. I know, Fiona, you've had a case recently as well in relation to this. Yeah, we had a case um, a few months ago, um, a, a secondary school whereby a the, the parents were separated, the relationship had totally broken down and the child, um, the child was living with the mother and the father put in a request for, for the child's records and the 
it, it turned out that the child was was happy to consent to the records going to the father, but the mother wasn't happy. So we, we advised the school that in circumstances where the child had consented, she was 14, that, that the records should be given to the father because the flip side, you know, if they were withheld is that you'd be, you could get a claim um, for discrimination, you know, in your door. So, um, yeah, it, it's important to, to, to always get the consent and particularly if relations aren't great within a family and you're, you're aware of that, you know. The case that I had, there was a barring order out against the father involved and the student involved had huge concerns about her results being sent to him because um, she felt that it would be used in a negative way. And she was uh, concerned in relation to his reaction to some of her results. So in those circumstances, he took a claim for discrimination against uh, the board of management of the school for refusing to release those results to him. And the adjudication officer in that case held that it was not discriminatory, that the school had acted in accordance with the wishes of the student and there was no discrimination involved. And of course, all of these decisions about what data you're retaining, how long you're retaining it for, why you're processing that particular piece of personal data but that all gets exposed or a light shines on that when a data access request comes in from a data subject and you have to deal with that and respond to that in line with the the, the requirements and the timelines that are set down by the data protection commission uh, fiona you see a lot of these um, a lot of them come into the office on a, on a fairly regular basis from a practical point of view kind of things should school management and boards management be thinking about in terms of being ready when that data access request comes in the door? Yeah, we see loads of these. Um, I think it's it's well worth having a strategy in place before you receive a request. So, so you know what to do, you know what type of documents to look for, where to look. So, you know, you're not, you're not caught on the back foot if, if a request comes in from a disgruntled employee or, or a parent. Um, it saves you a lot of time um, also, you know, in, in terms of compiling the data. Um, and I think, you know, we've, we've said this a lot of times, but just to be really aware of that time frame to respond, which is a month. Um, and, you know, don't put it off. Um, and if, if you think there's going to be an issue in, in dealing with, with the timeline, um, you know, give, give some thought to asking the person who's requesting their data to, to narrow the scope. Um, and, you know, if you do need more time, don't be afraid to ask for it. I was speaking to a principal a couple of weeks ago who was completely stressed about the, the amount of documentation she had to go through. And, you know, between trying to run a school and everything else, she, she just knew that she wouldn't get she wouldn't be able to to respond within within the timeline. And, you know, in, in that case, we, we wrote to the other side um, to, to the data subject and and asked for, for an extension, which, which you're entitled to do. And there was no issue there. So instead of kind of putting it off, you know, I guess you know, deal with it and start gathering the stuff as early as you can, because from our experience, um, you know, that's the most time consuming part for principals. Um, and yeah, to just having a clear strategy in place when, when these requests come in, because we're seeing more and more of them really. But isn't it the case that, to go back to what we were talking about, the more disciplined your data protection practices or your 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 the more the implementation of your data protection policy is live on the ground and people are following it and 
all your staff, your school secretary, your teachers, your school management, you're doing what you're supposed to do under your data protection policy and you're aware of it, that you're probably going to have fewer records there because you're you're dealing with the data properly. You're storing what you need to store and you're not storing what you don't need to store. And that makes responding to those data access requests a bit easier in the long run. You don't have the three years of yard books that Trina was talking about earlier on. You might have a couple of relevant pages taken out of a yard book because there was a particular incident on a particular day. So it's good data management then makes the school's life easier and then your life easier as well, Fiona, I presume when that request comes in and you have to review all all of those documents and and redact what needs to be redacted. Absolutely. I mean, because otherwise I think when you, when you take a note of literally everything, it's just, it it just proves an absolute nightmare when you do get a request in. So again, back to what we were saying earlier, just really ask yourself, why are we keeping this? Do we need to keep it? Um, And if you don't, you, you shouldn't be. But the last thing I'll say on that is that, you know, don't be afraid to send us, all of it. Uh, there's no judgment here. <laughs> I mean, we do get boxes and boxes and we do get queries from principals saying, are you sure you need all this? Do I send you all this? We'll make, we can look at it and make the call on whether or not it is personal data that we need to furnish. And if not, we'll just shred it and get rid of it. Uh, we won't retain it either. So I guess the overall lesson for school managers, uh, for principals, for boards of management is so if you go back and look at your data protection policy and then look at what you're doing day-to-day in the school and does your data management within the school on a day-to-day basis reflect what is set out in your data protection policy? And if it is, then that makes life a lot easier on a lot of fronts. So I'd like to thank Catherine and Fiona for joining me today uh, and for providing uh, more insight into this whole area. Um, I think as uh, Trina said to me offline, we could do a series of these on just on data protection alone because it's such a wide area and it touches on so many aspects of, of school life. But for now, uh, that's it from us. Uh, for more on our events and podcasts, you can visit uh, mhc.ie and you'll find a full range of all of our podcasts and webinars and e-zines and other information there. Thanks for listening and goodbye for now.